We have two dogs in our home. Aria is a two-year-old puppy who definitely needs help with her portions. And Nala is a 10-year-old dog who is living a great life and we want to keep feeding her well so she can hang in there with us for a lot longer. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. The farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. It's the best option for dogs at all life stages. It doesn't matter if your dog is young or old. It's always the right time to begin investing in their health, helping you live more healthy, happy, and full years together. You can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash vanished. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. Hey, Tenderfoot listeners, Dennis Cooper here. If you're a fan of Culpable, then you know we normally focus on one case for an entire season, like the season one case of Christian Andriacchio and the season two case of Brittany Stikes. As I continue working on season three, I'll be using this platform to help more families in their fight for justice. Last fall, I brought you six cases over six weeks. Now, I'm bringing you five more. From Tenderfoot TV, another installment of Culpable Case Review comes May 17th, Check out this clip. So she jumped over her friend into the driver's seat, hit the gas. Her foot did not let off the gas. She hit a mailbox. I think she rolled into a tree. And she was already dead. From Tenderfoot TV, Culpable Case Review is coming May 17th. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus for early access and ad-free listening. Learn more at tenderfootplus.com. Previously on Up and Vanished. On the forum for Tara Grinstead on May 11th, 2008, someone posted Jim Hickey, software salesman from Atlanta who took Tara to dinner in early October 2005. Did he visit Tara the Friday before she disappeared? Who is Jim Hickey? There's somebody down there that's got a lot more information than I've got, whether they're willing to talk about it or not, to a whole other issue. Small towns have a way of covering shit up. You have to take these emails cumulative. A lot of people who have problems transfer the issues they had as a child into adulthood is the fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment. The attachment to him was more than just an attachment of a relationship. Marcus plays uh, some of the role in her behavior toward him too. There's no doubt about that. Tara's sister said the glove was blue, not white. I don't trust that glove. That glove don't mean shit to me. It could be changed out. It was a blue latex glove. And I'm not even sure that the one they have now is blue. The Nancy Grace Show aired a series of live interviews. Nancy interviewed Tara's neighbor, Joe Portier. During the interview, Joe revealed a very crucial piece of information. I walked back to the front porch talking to the chief of police on my cell phone. And that's when I spied the latex glove. It was actually before the police got there. Since the first time I met with Dr. Godwin about this case, he's told me about this mysterious black truck 
It was like a Ford Ranger, and it had deep chrome wheels in it. I was headed to Moshe's house, a friend of mine. Do you know if um, Moshe saw the person? Yes, sir. He could describe it for you. They scared talking about it. It was the last time we were cooperating, but he test-tested hot for marijuana, and they sent him to jail. Heath Dykes drove a black truck. Yep, like a 90s black truck. When I first started digging around in this case, back before I even released the first episode of the podcast, Marie started getting weird messages on Facebook from a fake account. And the creepy thing was, the messages were about me. The name on this fake Facebook profile was George Harrison. Someone was watching me very closely. The thing that concerns me is, this might be somebody that has some information. As far as you know, you don't have any knowledge of who this is. Zero knowledge. Ten years ago today marked the last time anybody reported seeing or talking to Officially, police are calling this a missing person. GBI officials say From Tinderfoot TV in Atlanta, this is Up and Vanished, the investigation of Tara Grinstead. I'm your host, Payne Lindsay. This whole thing started in June of 2016. Around that time, I was just starting to reach out to people to interview for the podcast. And Maurice and I had only been talking for a few months at that point. Up and Vanish was still just an idea. That's it. I was out to dinner one night with my fiancé in early June. And I got a missed call and voicemail from Dr. Goblin. I uh, Dr. Goblin here at 8.30. You need to touch base with me if you can. Exchange this information. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. For the first time, Marie seemed to have a serious tone with me. Whatever it was, it sounded urgent. I was about a 15 minute drive to my apartment from the restaurant, and I decided to wait till I got home to call him back. But before I could get there, Marie's called again. I'm talking about the, the new message that's on Terrorstock. There's a Facebook page called What Happened to Tara Grinstead, and it's full of supporters seeking justice in this case. Like any Facebook page, visitors can make a post on the wall. Maurice was talking about the most recent post, from a man named George Harrison. It's the first post up there. You don't see it with three comments. I couldn't see it. Well, he's he blocked you too, then. He blocked three or four of my friends. A friend of mine just posted on there a while ago, and he blocked her. I tried logging into Facebook with my fiancé's account and went back to the same page. This time I could see George Harrison's post. It said, Has anyone heard about the new Tara Grinstead documentary called Up and Vanished? You read, you read what he said. Th- now how does he know, how did that person know, I mean, that statement that you read? He was right. How did George Harrison know the name Up and Vanished? Because at that point, I hadn't told anybody. Nobody even knew about this yet. Well, it's advertisement. For who? You! But that doesn't make any sense. Maurice thought that George Harrison was one of my friends trying to promote the documentary. But I assured him that was not the case. But he didn't really believe me. I mean, how else did they know the name Up and Vanished? I didn't have an answer for that. Somehow that name got out there. But I have no clue how. 
I did my best to convince Maurice I had nothing to do with this. We started looking into George Harrison's profile a little deeper. His Facebook friends were hidden on his profile, so if he had any, we couldn't see them. His profile picture was a low-quality black-and-white photo of five Hispanic girls who looked like sisters. It was becoming clearer that George Harrison probably wasn't a real person. It's a fake Facebook account. That profile picture uh, was one taken like from a Spanish site. He changed his profile picture, too. He's put that one with the headset. He's put that up as a profile picture. Shortly after we started digging around, he changed his profile picture to a white guy with brown hair and a beard who looked to be maybe in his late 20s. Somebody has said something to him about the picture being from a Spanish website or something, so he's changed it to one that you can't find. I've searched for all those pictures in there, even the highlight and just the facial area, and there's absolutely no matches anywhere on Google anywhere. We tried every single reverse image search tool on the Internet. There wasn't a single match for George Harrison's new profile picture. His profile now said he was from Seattle, Washington, but that he lives in Blackshear, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half southeast of Osceola. As far as you know, you don't have any knowledge of who this is. Zero knowledge. With no luck on George Harrison's real identity, I told Maurice that he should message him. So he did. Maurice sent George Harrison a message that said, I've been working on the Tara Grinstead case for her family for 10 years. Do you have information on the case? A few minutes later, George Harrison responded and said, Who the hell are you? He replied saying, My name is Dr. Maurice Godwin. My name has been associated with this case since the beginning. Two hours later, George Harrison replied back. He said, The project of Payne Lindsay will be a success. I will make sure of that. Maurice said, depends on getting the correct information, and right now that's pretty hard to do in a 10-year-old case. George Harrison replied, Payne Lindsay will solve this case. The thing that concerns me is, this might be somebody that has some information. Why do they have to hide their identity? I don't understand why they just don't come out and say who they are. It's nothing but chaos. It doesn't move the case forward. It's just nothing but negative, negative, negative. I mean, it's just weird what they wrote. This guy is posting about my documentary using my name and my documentary's name, but he also blocked me, so I couldn't see if he's even doing that on Facebook. Technically, without you telling me, I wouldn't even know. Well, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know. There's something nefarious going on why somebody has to hide their identity. They don't have the guts. I mean, if I was so enthralled about something, I'd just post it by that, wouldn't you? And see, I've been told by a number of people that I needed to get it off my shoulder so nobody won't say that nothing was done, see. Somebody could accuse me saying, you knew this all along, you didn't do anything. I mean, there's only a couple reasons why someone would do this. One, this person's just crazy obsessed with the case, and he's just getting some sort of enjoyment out of posting about this just to stir some stuff up. That's definitely possible. Or two, if he knows something, and maybe he plans on giving me some sort of information at some point. If he's going to give you something, you need, you need it as soon as possible, right? You know, it sounds like he's got something, information to, to provide to, to, to help solve it. He made the statement to me 
that he's going to make sure you will will solve this case. It's weird, man. A few days later, George Harrison made another post. It said, This podcast will help move the case forward. Who the hell was George Harrison? Why was he doing this? Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. I was quickly running out of ways to figure out who this was. But one thing about all of his messages stood out to me. They were all lowercase, and they often had weird typos and awkward spacing. Almost like a kid wrote it, or someone was trying to intentionally disguise themselves. It could be uh, from a phone where sometimes it inserts letter and you don't do spacing like you're supposed to. You know, I had an idea how to flush this guy out. How is that? Well, you know, initially I was talking about doing, like, the podcast first. You know, I wonder how much this would stir up if there was a podcast episode on iTunes talking about this George Harrison person. I don't know, man. That's your call. Um, They're obviously getting some sort of enjoyment out of doing this right now. I bet they'd even have more enjoyment when someone's talking about this. Then uh, I think that's what you should do then. So that's what I'm doing now. Calling him out on a podcast. It's no longer a big secret. Now we all know about George Harrison. This person would log on to Facebook for a few hours every day at random times. And when he logged off, he would deactivate the Facebook account. So the messages and posts would just disappear. 
This went on for several weeks, all before I released or announced the podcast. George Harrison's friends were hidden on Facebook so we couldn't see them. But Maurice had an idea. He spent several days going through every single person in Tara's case he could think of and checking their Facebook friends to see if George Harrison was in there. And believe it or not, George Harrison was friends with somebody in this case. His name was Troy Davis. He's the guy who had the barbecue that night Tara disappeared. The barbecue was at his house. Troy Davis was also the school superintendent of Irwin County where Tara was a teacher. The barbecue at his house that night was the last known place that Tara was seen alive. He showed up on um, uh, Troy's Facebook. Yeah, I think, you're, I think you're, you might be on to something. I sure do. So Maurice messaged Troy about this and asked him why he was friends with George Harrison on Facebook and if he knew who he was. Troy responded and said that he got a message from him too and that maybe he just accepted his friend request by accident. Maurice asked Troy to send him a screenshot of the message, and he did. The message Troy got from George Harrison said this, Tara Grinstead was a great teacher, and you were a great superintendent in Irwin County. He sent the message twice. At this point in time, nobody else knew of my relationship with Dr. Godwin, because I hadn't told anybody. So I told Maurice to send George Harrison a message, and act like he didn't know who I was. Maurice messaged him and said, I don't know of Payne Lindsay. Then George Harrison replied right back and said, Troy and Payne Lindsay knows who I am. This whole George Harrison thing was only getting weirder. At first I was leaning towards the idea that this was just some crazy person that somehow found out about my documentary. And this was all a big joke. But that was seeming less and less likely. But would a killer really do this? Risk getting caught? after 11 years by sending a Facebook message to a guy doing a documentary on Tara? Why would they be so stupid? After doing some research, I found that sometimes, surely not most of the time, but sometimes, killers purposely inject themselves into an investigation by overly cooperating with the police or even talking to reporters. One example of this I found is a case from Macon, Georgia, Back in 2011. No, no, no one has seen her since Saturday. I haven't seen anything. I mean, I've always heard noise outside, but it's just people walking by pretty much. She's as nice as can be. I mean, very personable, very much a people person. We don't know where she is. I mean, the only thing we can think is that maybe she went out running and someone snatched her. Because, I mean, this is Stephen McDaniel we being interviewed by a reporter in Macon, Georgia about a local college student, Lauren Giddings, his next-door neighbor, who's gone missing. She had a door jam that was sitting right by... But things are about to take a weird turn. Little does he know, the police just discovered Lauren's body, and he's about to find out on live television. We just don't know where she is. What about um, in the, like, the parking lot area? I know they've been doing a lot of... I think that's where they have recovered the body or whatever they recovered from there. Body? Um, had you heard... Had you seen the word body echoes through his head and he freezes up on camera like a deer in headlights. I mean, we don't know if this is the same person. Are you okay, sir? I think I need to sit down. Okay. The Macon police saw this same video, and within a few hours, he was in custody. Why'd you do it, Stephen? You hurt that girl! Yes, you did, Stephen! 
How long are we going to continue to do this? Eventually, Stephen McDaniel pled guilty to the murder of Lauren Giddings and is currently serving life in prison. This idea that killers stay close to an investigation with no fear of looking suspicious or getting caught is completely fascinating, and it's also kind of alarming. I wanted to learn more about the psychology behind this. How do killers act before they get caught when they're just walking among us? Well, I'm Dr. Schlesinger. I'm a professor of forensic psychology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And I have also been a practicing forensic psychologist for 41 years. The the first thing you have to establish is that all murder is not alike. There's different motivations. There's different clinical pictures. There's different courses and there's different outcomes. So, for example, some murder is a direct result of a psychosis. God tells you to kill and you kill. That's very, very easy to understand. Some murder is sexually motivated. Most murder is a result of situational stressful factors. In fact, the prototype of the most common murder is found in the Bible in the Cain Abel murder case. If you look at the Cain Abel murder case in detail, you'll learn about 60 to 70 percent of everything you need to know about murder. Cain killed his brother Abel. There's a close relationship between offender and victim. He killed him because of jealousy. God liked Abel's offering better than he liked Cain's offering. It was a direct violent assault. He rose up and slew him. And most importantly, when the killer is confronted with wrongdoing, he lies. God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he lied to God. He said, I know not. I'm not my brother's keeper. That's the prototype of, of, of the vast majority of murders. And those individuals who kill a a loved one, a domestic homicide, an argument, that type of thing, they're apprehended fairly quickly. The mentally disordered offenders, the psychotic people, the ones, that type of thing, they don't follow the investigation. They live in their own world. But somebody who's more intact, more intelligent, very often does follow the progress of the investigation. Sometimes they inject themselves into the investigation, which often leads to their uh, apprehension. And other times they do things like make themselves a victim, which brings themselves to the attention of of law enforcement. Many times an individual thinks that they can control the investigation. They think they're smarter than law enforcement. And uh, in their mind, they're thinking, well, if he really did it, why would he come to law enforcement? Why would he uh, give an interview? It obviously shows his guilt. And nothing could be further from the truth. To give you an example or an analogy, it's like a third-party discovery of a body. An individual kills his child in an emotional state, shaken baby or whatever, and they arrange a neighbor to find the body. Look in the basement, behind the oil burner, a little further back. Oh, it's there. And they think that if it's a third party who discovered it, it distances themselves somehow from the murder. Nothing could be further from the truth. So many of these individuals follow the investigation because they want to know what the police know to satisfy their own anxiety. And many of them think that they're smarter than law enforcement. They can control the investigation by getting close to it. And I had a case in New Jersey. This guy killed in New Jersey two women. He killed another person while he was in prison in Florida. But Because the women were killed and they were abducted from malls and they were young people and so on, there was a tremendous amount of media attention at that time. What this guy did was he self-inflicted a wound, went to the police station, and he said that he was attacked by the offender that everybody's looking for. 
trying to get into the police station to talk to them to find out what they knew. He obviously became an immediate suspect, and he was linked, not by what he said, but by hair and fiber and tire tracks and so on. So those things do happen, and the police are very, very aware of that. The famous case is Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. The case was cold for 30 years. What happened is a citizen in Kansas wrote a book on the BTK killer, and that triggered Dennis Rader's narcissism because he wasn't getting the credit for this. He then started communicating with the police, which almost always leads to the individual getting apprehended. He was not apprehended for for 30 years, and he was highly intelligent, a college graduate, majored in criminal justice. The case went cold for 30 years. He got involved in this again by contacting the police, and he was arrested. Now he's in prison. As a general proposition, most victims who get killed know the offender. That's just what the vast majority of murders are. They're people closely connected with someone. There's a lot of emotionality in the connection between offender and victim. Most people don't kill the toll collector on the turnpike. I mean, you know, there's no emotion there. Now, with your particular case, the Georgia case, she was a very super attractive beauty queen. And it would not surprise me at all if somebody was uh, you know, obsessed with her in some sort of way. And, you know, the murder may have occurred spontaneously or it could have been planned. It's just very difficult to know from a distance what that is. I mean, could she have been abducted by a total stranger? Yes. But it, it, statistically, it's, it, it, it's a rare event. Probably the police interviewed this individual um, perhaps multiple times, but they just didn't have enough to go on or they didn't, they didn't get anywhere with the individual. One other important point I think needs to be made here. Very often the media creates an image of somebody who's eluded apprehension, like your guy, for example, as an evil genius, an expert you know, in deception, a master of the skies, high intelligence. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you have a complicated explanation or a simple explanation, it's always the simple explanation. I was involved uh, in a case down in um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This is about 15 years ago. He killed uh, who knows how many people, maybe 40 or something. But it seems that he entered the house without breaking into it because there was no evidence of any forced entry. And either the woman was abducted or the woman was left there and killed, but there was no broken window or broken door and this sort of thing. And so the theories that developed out of that was he was a master of disguise. He was disguising himself as a police officer. You know what it turned out to be? He said that he went up to a door, he knocked on the door and said, my car broke down. Can I use your phone? If the woman said, no, it's out of order, he just left. If the woman said, okay, he just came in, dialed his own number. After about 10 minutes, you can determine if there's a male at home that poses a threat. There's no male, then you just kill the person. He wasn't any genius at all. He did something very, very simple. In your case, it's probably a simple explanation for this. When the first of two videos went online, the GBI immediately got involved. He himself is claiming that he's killed 16 people, the way I understood the video, and he was giving clues as to one of his victims, and that victim, the clues that were offered were those that appeared specific to Terry Grinstead. 
Tara Grinstead vanished from Irwin County in October of 2005. The clues were unmistakably about her. Don't try to chase me. Don't try to catch me. They almost immediately traced the videos back to the defendant, Andrew Scott Haley, in Hall County and confronted him. He confessed he made the videos and even showed the agents where he placed his camera on a shelf in a bathroom closet to shoot them. And he uh, stated essentially that it was a game that he was trying to get as many hits as he could uh, on his YouTube website. We've seen it before in this case. Someone taunting the police and the media with clues about Tara Grinstead but it turned out to be a hoax. Is George Harrison just another sick person playing a game with me? Or does he have some information for us? Months later, after I started this podcast, I got a call from a private investigator in Georgia. He asked that I not use his name, but he said he had something to tell me. All right, first of all, about a year ago, someone came to our office who was a, one of uh, Tara Grinstead's students. You know, he he's just like, I've always wondered what happened, and, you know, the things that I hear in town are different than what the law enforcement's coming up with. It's like he was smart, but he was smart about the case. He didn't seem like the brightest guy, but he was smart. He, like, he knew. He's always been thinking about it for the last 10 years, so he knew what to say when he came to see us. This guy had all kinds of theories about what happened, um, but he was never really, he just didn't know. And that's why he was coming to us. All this happened about a year ago. Uh, I don't know the exact date when this guy came in, but I, I want to say it was a year ago. This kid sounded sketchy to me. We agreed to meet up in person to discuss it further, after my wedding, which was the following weekend. All right, man, Payne, good luck to you this weekend, man. Have a great wedding, and uh, we'll see you on Tuesday. Before Tuesday came around, he tried reaching out to the kid again, and things got pretty interesting, so he called me with some updates. We had... The original number on the intake form that he filled, filled out, we called that number, didn't work. We did a search on him, had another number on him, didn't work. We called his mother, numbers didn't work. So I told Robin, I said, hey, look, none of these numbers are working. Like he's been hide in hiding for some reason. And all of a sudden, she sends me some numbers. She's like, I just talked to him, call him at this number. I'm like, oh, okay. So he finally found a new number for this kid, and he called him. The kid answered, and he agreed to meet him in person again. On Tuesday, the same day I was going to be there. Well, at first he said, hey, I'm, I'm definitely coming. He said, I'll be there. So it was after a good five-minute conversation, kind of explaining, you know, what you're doing. And, and at the end of the conversation, he's like, well, yeah, I know who he is. I've seen some of the stuff, and I know he's communicating with this private investigator in North Carolina. I was like, look, I said, he's just getting information from that PI. I was like, well, that's what we do, you know. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. He said, well, okay, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, be, I'll go ahead and be there. And so we hung up at that point. And then he started sending me text messages saying, hey, I'd like to talk to him, meaning you. This is what he says. Is there any way I can talk to him like today? And I said, uh, I'll ask just if I got married yesterday. I don't know. I'm not bugging too much today. And he said, okay, thanks. Do you think uh, he may be up to something or I had this gut feeling that this kid was George Harrison. So I told him the whole story to see what he thought. Long story short, like months ago, before I even announced the podcast, actually, this person made a fake Facebook account. Somebody did. And he said, has anybody heard about the new series called Up and Vanished? This person, whoever it is, kept saying, Payne Lindsay will solve this case. 
Payne Lindsay is going to solve this case. The first profile picture was like of these like Spanish girls. But one more thing that was odd though about all the messages he sent, they were all like sloppily written. They were all always lowercase, sometimes two spaces in between a word. Really? He told me this kid was Hispanic, and that his text messages were worded exactly the same, just how I described them. In fact, I'll send you you a screenshot. And I wonder why he said that either he thinks you're on the right track or he thinks you're getting too close to him. Well, there are people who are, for no reason, become so obsessed with a case uh, that it actually ruins their lives. There's been a number of PIs, one that helped the Natalie Holloway case, who actually wrote a book about it, Natalie Holloway. I say there's been about 10 PIs that's been approached by Terrorist case, you know, asking them about looking into it and stuff like that. And nobody will touch this case. There was a guy out of Macon, Georgia. He, he got involved. He talked to me for about three weeks. And he called me. He said, I, I'm not dealing with it no more. And I can tell you why. People have to invest money and time and effort and everything into any case they go in to try to do something on. Here's the word, trample on. When a case has been trampled on so much, I won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Tuesday came around, and my friend Donald and I went to the investigator's office in Atlanta. Yeah. Before we were allowed in, they made copies of both of our IDs. Yeah. Then we met in a conference room. We met with another investigator in there as well. She was the first person to receive contact from this kid, and she told us her story. He told me that he didn't speak very good English when he came to Georgia, and that Tara was her, his teacher and helped him speak English. That was his genuine story to me. Okay. Now, have I validated that? No. Have I been hired by him? No. Has he shared a lot of information? Yes. Uh, what is his... You know, at this point, everybody's a suspect. M- my concern is is that I don't know what was done right or wrong. I don't know why he's obsessed with this. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I had teachers in my life that I probably wouldn't have gone to this length for, but... I mean, I'm sure that if we can find her her annuals, somebody must have all the people she's taught yeah. in seventh grade, okay, and his name is there. You know, that might be a good or bad thing, but validate that friendship. Did did she go over to his house? He go over to her house, and I don't know. I mean, he, he told me after that grade or they're finished that, you know, he, he didn't see her anymore, yeah. you know, and he just felt when it came on the news, he felt very bad. He never paid us any money. He was never a client. Okay. So I don't know what, what he's done or not done. I just know he has a few clues, a few theories, but unless we can verify that relationship, it bothers me. Well, I'm confused that I had a number for him forever, forever. Okay. And he always answered my calls. I hmm. call it. It's disconnected. I told Rebecca, find his mother. Found somebody 
And I left a message. I said, look, I don't know who you are, but I'm looking for this person. I think it's your son. It's important. Tell him to call me. Right. I didn't hear anything. And next thing you know, like Sunday, he calls. He says, hey. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why are you changing all your numbers and stuff? What's going on? Well, I've made a few people upset. I said, yeah, you, you, you seem to do that a lot. Okay? So I don't know what's wrong with you, but... But there's an issue here. So there's somebody going to be at my office on Tuesday that wants to give this case some attention. It can't hurt, okay? Can't hurt at all, so let's get together. Okay, I'll see. I'll see. Okay, well, it ain't all see. Are you going to come or you're not going to come? So I don't know what's wrong with you. I, you know, I don't know if he cared about her so much that he's just obsessed with the case. Now, I'll tell you one thing that was always weird. All of his messages were always lowercase and, like, typed funky. Well... You show me a screenshot of text with him. Yeah, it, it looks just like his messages. Yep. If you can speak English, you can't necessarily uh, write or type it out as well. And I know this because uh, my gardener, he always tells me call me because, and he, if I do text him, he never replies. He always just calls back, and he just said he, you know, he just does better yeah. speaking directly. So that definitely right. goes to your theory. Yeah, uh -huh. who knows? It's weird. I find it. I wasn't really too concerned about him until he just didn't decide not to show up. Now that we're because right. I, I mean, what does he got to hide? The whole phone number thing. Just trying to call. Well, actually, I don't know if we should call him because we want to be able to. I can call him. The kid had agreed to meet with the private investigator that day, but it didn't look like he was coming. Needless to say, I didn't have any patience left, so they gave me his number, and I called him myself in front of everybody. Verizon Wireless, the number you dialed has been changed, disconnected, so or is weird. no longer in service. There he goes again. Disconnected number. I have been uncomfortably tight lip about this because mm -hmm. I've been investigating it. I've never once mentioned it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even, he doesn't know that I know he exists. He has no reason to think that. It's okay, what's this guy's name? Let's run him. You got his information? Yep. Just like they took my ID when I came in, the last time the kid was here, they took his ID too. She left the room for a second to go print it out. Was I about to learn the real identity of George Harrison? There's our guy. Who the hell is that? Thanks for listening to episode 11. After episode 12 in two weeks, we're going to take a short three-week break and come back with episode 13 on February 27th. But don't worry, I'll be releasing some awesome bonus content every Monday before February 27th. Stay tuned this Thursday for another Q&A episode, answering your questions from the voicemail line. Next Monday for Case Evidence, and the following Monday for episode 12. Thanks for listening, guys. See you soon.